You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're diving into a subject matter that's driven behind a Nobel Prize winning discovery. It's a cellular mechanism that's associated with longevity, but also the counterside when it's not engaging, when it's not allowed to do its normal process, it's associated with accelerated aging, with degradation and with disease. So this episode is going to blow your mind. We're talking with a real life Indiana Jones, a real life Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, somebody who's traveled all across the world to study and uncover some of the most powerful foods and nutrients and to bring forth some of the most profound and important science of our lifetime. And it really is that important. You know, really tuning in, being able to understand how our amazing bodies, these incredible interworkings, these cellular communications and relationships that are taking place within all the cells in our body. Because the reality is, our bodies are really a community of cells that are all working together, supposed to be working together for our collective good. But sometimes people in communities, they can get a little bit unruly, you know? It can be a holiday coming up and maybe some of the cells drink a little bit too much, you know, and you got to bring in, you know, some outside assistance to break up scuffles. You know, you never really know what can take place, you know, unless you are creating an environment where health and cooperation and health is really the dominant force because there's always going to be some rogue things that take place. You know, if you think about a cancer cell and its behavior, you know, we go through this process as we live life of replication. You know, certain cells die off and we have cell replication. We have new cells that are born all the time. And each cell has a certain amount of times that it can print out new copies, these replications. But at some point, we have that programmed cell death, senescence, apoptosis, where that cell is supposed to stop replicating and allow for new growth to take place. Cancer cells, they don't abide by those rules. They're just like, hey, I'm the Vince Vaughn of this situation. I'm wedding crashing. I don't care what happens, you know? And so they kind of go, they do their own thing. But there are things that are going on underneath the surface because in our conventional system of medicine, unfortunately, there's not a lot of education around how this process happens. What creates a Vince Vaughn cell? What creates a Owen Wilson? Shout out to Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, by the way. They might be listening. No disrespect, I'm not calling you a cancer. That's not my point. But just folks that are in that cellular community going off and doing things that are rogue and potentially dis disruptive, which again, if you've seen the movie, a lot of disruption took place, happy ending. It's a story of all movies, right? So here's the thing. In our current system, as I mentioned, there's not a lot of education about how does cancer occur? What, what is the underlying mechanism? And we know what this really is. It's just basic principles of physics. And principles within that of causality, you know, cause and effect. Nothing is just happening in our world, but that's kind of the idea that most folks, unfortunately, they're indoctrinated with that the different conditions that we struggle with, all the different problems in our world, that they just happen. And nothing can be further from the truth. There's always a causality, there's always a, a causative factor behind those things. Now, we can't explain everything, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a causative factor behind it. If we're talking about cancer and that relationship, we already know 
the plethora of carcinogens, these cancer-causing agents that influence our cells in many ways very powerfully to have that abnormal behavior. And so once we get in association with what are these things creating the conditions where cancer can thrive, let's remove those things. Let's move away from those things. What are the things that create conditions where our cells replicate healthfully and they have that normal, natural apoptosis process and they hit that hay flick limit and then they, they move on. And then we have new cells that are able to be born. What are the things that create those conditions? So again, there's an underlying mechanism. There's a process, powerful pro process that we're going to talk about today. Really, really excited about that. And with one of the leading experts in this subject matter, and it's because she's actually taken action to put herself in position to, to go to the universities, to the labs, to the farms, and to study these things and to meet with the experts and to bring this incredible information back for all of us. So again, very, very excited about this. And during the episode, you're actually going to hear her mention the amazing tea that I gave her once she got here. You know, she's, she's European. So, you know, I knew like, oh, she's going to say yes to the tea offer. So I gave her an incredible tea, but something that again, unfortunately, a lot of folks still don't know about, but you're about to learn about it right now. According to a study published in the journal Phytonutrient Research, the renowned fermented tea, pu'er, that's the name, pu'er, is one of the rare nutrient sources that has a direct significant influence on the enzyme that literally unlocks our fat cells and allows fat to exit from our cells to be oxidized, which is known as hormone-sensitive lipase or HSL. But this is one of the rare nutrients sources, one of the rare teas, one of the rare foods ever discovered that directly impacts and activates hormone-sensitive lipase to do its job of going and opening up those fat cells so that fat can be mobilized and used for fuel. Now, Puer is also incredible in that it has a clinically proven ability to support fat loss while protecting our muscle mass at the same time. And this is according to a recent study featured in Clinical Interventions in Aging, all right? So this is a journal that's focused on anti-aging compounds and nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals. And this tea that's been utilized for centuries has some really remarkable effects that you just simply don't find anywhere else. So that's the tea that I gave her to enjoy during the show. So it had a purpose. It's tea with a purpose. Purpose tea. I did it purpose tea. So I'm going to share one more study with you. And this was published in the peer-reviewed journal Nature Communications, uncovered that there's a unique compound found in Pu'er called Thea Brownin that has some remarkable effects on our microbiome. The researchers found that Thea Brownin positively alters our gut microbiome and has an impact on directly reducing liver fat, all right? So lipogenesis within the liver. I can go on and on. It's absolutely incredible. But the key is making sure that you're getting in. You're going to learn more about that in this episode from sources that do things the right way because the supply chain of getting some of these nutrients and especially these highly coveted teas got to make sure that it's coming from places that have integrity, that are doing things the right way, from farm to your cup. And the only pu'er that I drink is triple toxin screened for one of the highest levels of purity. It's tested for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold that is actually common in teas. And also it's a patented cold extraction technology 
that extracts the bioactive compounds in the teas at cold to low temperatures to actually extract and maintain these nutrient compounds. If we're talking about theobrownin, for example, to make sure that you're actually getting the things that you're looking for. And I'm talking about the teas from none other than Peak Teas. That's P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A dot com forward slash model. And if you go to peaktea.com forward slash model, you're also going to get an exclusive 10% discount off of all their incredible teas. I'm a huge fan of their matcha. I love their ginger tea as well. And again, we were sipping on some pu'er today with my special guest, and she was just really blown away by it. And she really is a adamant, adamant seeker of quality. And so she really loves Peak as well. So again, go to peaktea.com forward slash model. That's P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Balls" by NJTRT. Hooked on Sean, my go-to reset podcast to listen to relevant, cutting-edge, trustworthy information that speaks to my soul and inner child. Haha. <laughs> Plus, he simplifies stuff without dumbing it down. Working my hippocampus while helping to release those much-needed endorphins, knowing I have access to amazing resources thanks to his passion to share model health for all. Much gratitude. I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's such a great review. Thank you so much for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. And if you have to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. I appreciate it so much. On that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. For over 20 years, Naomi Whittle has been exploring the world and hacking the supply chain to discover the most powerful, potent, and efficacious ingredients from around the world. Named by prevention as a leading innovator in the natural products industry, she is a fierce advocate for empowering people to take control of their health and the health of their families. Naomi is also the founder of an award-winning nutrition company. She's also served as a CEO of Twin Lab, and she's the author of Glow 15, the New York Times bestselling book on the Nobel Prize-winning science that you're going to learn about today. So let's jump into this conversation with the one and only Naomi Whittle. Naomi, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Sean, I'm so thrilled to be here, and it's, it's a great thing to be able to be in your energy and your presence. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Mm. So speaking of pleasure, or maybe not so pleasure, <laughs> in your book, which is phenomenal, uh, Glow 15, and you've got another new book as well, but you talked about your first time. And I was like, where is this going, you know, when you brought it up? So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that really millions, hundreds of millions of women experience this experience. So can you talk about that? Talk about your first time. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my first time. It's a little, um, a little challenging. But when I finally sort of recognized that I was um, getting ready for work one morning and my kids were running around and trying to get them ready. Uh, I have four of them now. That time I had two. And I have always believed in having, you know, like very little put on my body. Like I don't like to wear too much makeup. I don't like to really wear makeup. I don't like to put too many products in my body because we absorb so much of it. And I'm going to talk to you about my health issues, which has led me to that. So I've always felt like 
makeup and skincare is super dangerous and extraordinarily toxic. And so many of the ailments that we have as women are because of what we're covering ourselves up with. So anyway, I was, I was getting ready and I was putting on probably like a little bit of eyeliner or something, just trying to get ready for the day. And I noticed that like the makeup that I was using really wasn't working. And what I saw was that my skin was starting to droop. Um, the texture was changing and it was like one day to the next, these fine lines and wrinkles popped up and I was in my mid thirties. So, you know, I've been studying health and wellness and how to be like biologically optimized as a woman um, forever. And so I thought, to myself, like, how is it from one day to the next? It seems like I've just aged overnight. What happened biologically? And what I did is I called up my mother and I'm like, mother, send me a picture of you at 36 years old. I want to see what you look like. So I took her picture and I took mine and I had like essentially prematurely aged compared to her. Mm. And then I started to really try to figure out like what's going on here. And so that's how it, how it all began. Yeah, so that's your first time noticing that you were aging. But not just aging, right? Like, cause we're all gonna age, right. but aging faster mm. than I should. So mm. a woman, according to like all the research, um, top dermatologists, a woman basically starts to really visibly show age around 37 years old. So it's not that I'm obsessed with what's going on on the outside, because I'm, I'm really not, but recognizing that this is a reflection of what's on the inside, yeah. right? Like I, I was born with autoimmune disorders. I was covered in eczema as a child and into my 20s, which really has led me on my journey. Yeah. But understanding that that inflammatory process that's going on on the inside despite the fact that my skin would bleed and it would pus and it was, I mean, you would look at my hands, you would think as a nine-year-old, I had, I was an 80-year-old because my hands were so, so broken down and it was all about what was going on on the inside. And so I've always used the outermost part of my body, our largest organ, right? As a reflection, okay. What's going on? You know, like in Chinese medicine, they'll smell your back. So what odors are coming out of our body? What does our skin look like? You know, um, what is the coloring of our skin? So, I mean, there's so many ways to understand what's going on on the inside. But I was noticing, oh my God, I am aging way more quickly mm -hmm. than I should be. And I'm looking at my mother and she looks like her picture in her 30s was like 10 years younger mm -hmm. than mine. Wow. And a lot has changed since <laughs> she was that age versus yeah. the, the environment that you live in today. So we're going to get into that. But I love this so much because you mentioned this. We, we're, we all age. It's, it's what you sign up for when you get here, whether you realize it or not. But the thing that we are aware of today is that we can have a graceful experience, mm. you know, and there's so many things that can accelerate that aging process that can burn through our little telomeres that everybody yeah has started to understand about. But um, I think also your experience too, like living as a, you know, as a little kid with this autoimmune condition and having eczema so badly, I love that you brought that up because 
some of the biggest superheroes, which again, mm-hmm. I told you this before we got started, you're such a superhero. Oh, thank you. You. Are really emerging from their their own troubles and, mm-hmm. and challenges and their supervillain that you were going up against yeah. trying to figure stuff out. And then you end up helping so many others. So this leads into the conversation about what, what are the mechanisms that are helping to keep us younger, to keep us younger longer, should mm-hmm. I say. And your book is one of the, really the first book to take a deep dive on talking about the subject matter. I mentioned it in my book, but you go in <laughs> multiple layers and talking about autophagy. So yeah. can you talk about what it is and the implications that it has for us as related to aging? Totally. Autophagy means auto self phagy to eat. It's, it's literally like self eating in Greek. That's, that's the meaning of the word. And I intuitively, as a child, always understood, just like the waves come in and out in the ocean, I always had this understanding, and I think it was because of my eczema, that we were either at a cellular level, this was like way before I took a cell biology class, like I knew nothing. I didn't probably even know what cells were, but I, but I knew, let's say, I learned about them in seventh grade. And so I understood that our cells were either like building or breaking down. Most basic, like child understanding. And it wasn't until I was in my, gosh, it must have been like my early 30s. And I was on one of these trips, which is what I live for. Like I want to always know where things come from. And I'll explain to you why a bit later. But I was in Calabria, Italy. And there, I was there because there's this amazing fruit called citrus bergamot. And it only grows like in a 20-mile region where the soil is just like perfect for this particular fruit. And I went over there because the researchers around this fruit are in that region. And so there was this woman, Dr. Elizabeth Janda, and she had me in her laboratory. And then I was in the vineyards or in the orchards where they the farmers were growing it. And I met with a fourth generation farmer, Hugo, and like really understood how they harvest, how they process, and how it becomes a nutritional supplement. And I was fascinated because citrus bergamot helps to balance our cholesterol profiles. And it is like this powerful antioxidant flavonoid. And the research was like going on and on and on. So I was super excited and obsessively um, interested in learning about it. And I was in Dr. Janda's office for like, I don't know, a day or so. And we were drinking this citrus bergamot tea all day. And at the end of the day, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. I want more. But like, why are you drinking it? What specifically are you getting from it? And she said, oh, Naomi, it activates my autophagy. Like, I couldn't even say it. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, it activates the youth inside of my cells. And so at that moment Mm. in Calabria, I'm like, oh my. So I flew home back here to the US. I sat down with my team. I had built a nutritional supplement company called Reservage. Um, And it's all based on ingredients from around the world that, that have like really important science and I could understand and go to their source. So I came back to the team like, you guys, 
I want to know everything about this thing called autophagy. And it was in 2000 and like, I guess it was maybe like early 2013 or something, 2013, 14. Um, yeah, 2014, because it took four years before I wrote, before the book came out. And I looked for the experts in autophagy all over the world, mm -hmm. for the skin autophagy experts. I looked for the exercise autophagy experts. Like I wanted to know who are these people. And I have my offices in Gainesville, Florida, which is where the University of Florida is. And like our space is in the innovation hub. So I have access to like crazy amounts of brainiacs, which I love because we're like basically right on campus. Yeah. And um, there was a researcher at UF, William Dunn, who I've interviewed a bunch of times, and he sort of became my main conduit. And he then started to bring me into research by uh, a researcher in Tokyo, Yosunori Osumi, who was sort of like the autophagy guru. And he's done all of his work, his entire career, on autophagy, but in yeast cells. So I started thinking about all of these experts, how can I activate autophagy in my own body? This is a word I don't even know. Like no doctors I would talk to knew about it. Um, it was only like deep within the research within universities, and it was still coming up within the university environment. So I started writing this plan and this book for myself, finding all the things that would activate it in my own body. And that's how I decided to write a book on it. Like I'm not, I'm not a researcher. I'm not a scientist. You know, I, I really was as like a wellness explorer mm -hmm. trying to get to these answers. Um, my dad's a chemist, like everybody in my family, like my, my grandfather's a quantum physicist. I grew up with him and learning a lot. Everybody's scientists, but, but really, you know, I don't have that training. So I wrote the book. I got the proposal out 2016. And three weeks before the proposal came out, we did, well, we did a clinical study with women using all of these methods to activate autophagy at Jacksonville University. And we got like amazing results. Yeah. So we put that all in the proposal. And three weeks before I went out with the proposal, Yosunori Osumi in Tokyo won the Nobel, Nobel Prize, Prize for autophagy. Incredible. Like, the timing. What? Yeah. Wow. Because when, when awards like that are given, that it raises up the awareness of the subject and then more people jump into research on it. It's so true. I, I, um, I had the profound joy and pleasure, probably like the best, one of the best days of my whole life, of interviewing him face to face. Like we were like this. And he didn't do any visual like video interviews after he won, you know, the Nobel mm -hmm. Prize. But he allowed me to interview him. I went to Tokyo and he told me when he was young, his mother had tuberculosis because I was trying to get into the head of what is a Nobel Prize winner doing? Like, how does that mindset build to transforming, you know, hundreds of millions of people's, billions of people's lives, really, truly? Like, how does that work? And his mother had TB. And he was malnourished as a child. And his dream was to be a scientist. And Yosunori ended up 
looking at this field of chemistry, which was what was happening in those, in, in those years. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to be a contrarian. I'm going to follow my own path and I'm going to get into cell biology. And so he went down this totally different path. There were no studies done on autophagy and he was at the very forefront of it. And he showed me the graph of how many studies have been done on autophagy once the Nobel Prize had been won. I mean, it's, it, right. he, it's a global transformation. Right. And it was all because he was like, you know what, I'm gonna take this other path. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy, it's not right, but I have to take the risk. This is a good place to, to talk about what is autophagy doing in our bodies? Like, what is the purpose of it? What's the role? What is the outcome? Let's mm -hmm. talk about that. Yeah, so it's, if I were to give you an analogy, like I'm, I'm, I'm in this amazing space of yours and I see on the garbage cans, recycling only, please. So let's imagine that we're in the kitchen and you make an amazing meal and I'm your guest. I'm super excited because like I'm enjoying my tea and I can only imagine like what you, what else you can do in the yeah, kitchen. Yeah, I can throw it down. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can tell. <laughs> I got it. I'm so like, I, I can feel it. I love it. So let's say you make this amazing meal and we're in the kitchen and after you make this beautiful production, I'm responsible for recycling whatever's like, maybe we're putting this in the compost, we're putting this in the recycling bin, this goes in the garbage. So we're cleaning up the counters and we do this. And let's say, you know, it's a month later and, um, or a week later and the recycling bin has filled up and the garbage can has filled up and there's a couple things on the counter, but we're going to take it out to the street and we'll, we'll dispose of it and we'll bring the compost into the garden. But over time, this process of cleaning up slows down. So it's the same thing that happens within a cell, mm. right? So in the cell, autophagy, I like to almost think of it as like a little doctor that says, okay, recycle these organelles, or this goes, this cell actually has to die, or we're going to, you know, throw this garbage that accumulates all of the toxicity that accumulates in the cell, we're going to throw this out. But over time, due to pollution and so much environmental toxins and age, telomeres, you know, all of the organelles are not working as well. They're slowing down. Over time, what happens is autophagy can't work as well. And it's not as strong and it's not as efficient. And so that is the like massive contributor to the way in which we age. So it's a natural detox cleaning recycling garbage in garbage out sort of mm. process. And you can just imagine if we weren't effectively taking the garbage out, yeah. we'll start to happen. Right. You know, the nastiness that can build up and just the inefficiency, yep. you know, because that's going to bleed over into the, the, the growth stuff that we want to do, you know, of like to make the next meal and then there's all this garbage in the way. That's right. Such a good analogy. Yeah. It was an analogy, not that I came up with, but one of the brilliant research scientists that I was like bugging for tens of hours. <laughs> Let's talk about autophagy some more. Yeah, I love it. But you pulled me into your analogy and I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So understanding how important this is. So we've got so many different aspects of autophagy. We've got 
autophagy related to the health of our skin, mm-hmm. our brain, mm. um, basically every cell in our bodies. And you've also identified some specific nutrients, some specific foods, specific exercise implements that we have some data now on mm. it supporting this function that our body's so desperately wanting to do to keep us healthy and live a longer, not just live longer, but live healthier longer. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some of that stuff. Um, you mentioned the citrus bergamot tea, mm. and that was combined with Earl Grey as well for yeah. a tea. Can you talk I, about that? I just sort of like added different nutrients. So it started with thinking about my skin, knowing that if, if my skin is prematurely aging, then there are other premature aging processes that are going on in my body. And I want to be optimal. Like I want to live, I want to seize every single day. I want to live the most I can with every moment possible. And so I thought for myself, and this was like very personal desire to just optimize my, my biology in the best possible way. And so how can I do it? And I looked at, yeah, with all of these brilliant experts, I looked at all these different areas. So this gentleman by the name of Richard Wang, he's a um, dermatologist, autophagy expert. Mm. Uh, I went to him and I'm like, okay, what do I need to put on my skin? And literally we went through like hundreds of ingredients. And then I worked with William Dunn at, at UF and we talked about a lot of what foods we can use that can activate our autophagy. And I ended up coming up with this tea, which has Earl Grey, it has citrus bergamot, it has green, you know, it has the EGCGs, and it has a variety of different ingredients. And you can easily make it. We just called it our own like autophagy. Um, And you can use that citrus bergamot oil, even the essential oil. And I have the recipe in my book. Um, But it activates the youth. And it's like a great way in the morning to just start that process. Mm. We activate the most autophagy while we're sleeping. So that's why, you know, your book Sleep Smarter is so phenomenal. If we can get, if we can get more juice out of when we're sleeping and really make it powerful, we're activating the most amount of autophagy. Yeah. I love this so much. So you mentioned EGCG. Yeah. So that's a compound coming from green tea, right? That Can is you talk right. talk about that? Yeah. I first fell in love with EGCGs when I did my first like travel and I talked to you for a minute about it. But I, I was born in Switzerland. I was born on a biodynamic farm. So like the most healthy sort of environment you can get. My mother's an artist and my dad's a chemist. And they were both just like so passionate about raising me in the healthiest way that they could, despite all my autoimmune stuff, which is like very ironic. But I knew, like I never had a Western doctor. I always, my parents always used homeopathy. Like we really, we were naturalists and, and always had been. So when I was um, in my, like late, I would say I was in my um, mid thirties, I went to Okinawa because Dr. Wilcox, these two twins, which I mentioned to you, who both studied at Harvard, had discovered, well, it was, the book was called The Okinawan Diet. 
and they had discovered a lot of the answers as to why the Okinawans had the largest group of centenarians mm -hmm. in their culture, like why this island was filled with them. So I wanted to go and see it for myself. So I set up a lunch meeting with Dr. Wilcox, one of the brothers that lived in Okinawa. And I went and visited him at the Okinawan University. And we went and had lunch. And uh, in Okinawa, the way it works is I could set up a meeting with him because he was a Westerner. But I couldn't like write to somebody else at the university and say, hi, I'm Naomi Whittle. Mm -hmm. I'm in the U.S. I'd like to have a sit down with you. It doesn't work that way. You have to be introduced. Mm -hmm. Like, Sean, you would have to introduce me to your friend yeah. in order for me to meet with them. There was this, all this interesting protocol. So long story long, I ended up having the opportunity to meet with different farmers. I met with the mayor. I went to his home and we drank these amazing EGCG filled green teas. And I learned about the way the Okinawans approach green tea. And they might drink four, five, six, seven cups a day. But because it has the EGCG, that powerful compound with the, three, with the theobromine and the balancing of the caffeine, they're not jittery in the day. Right. And they have all of that benefit, that longevity benefit. So that's what first got me intrigued with EGCGs. And I mean, I, I can't stop loving them. And I think we all, I mean, I, I know so many people that drink many cups of green tea every day. Right. I'm so glad you brought that up about they're knocking down quite a bit of green tea, you know, yeah. we'll just say seven cups a day yeah. in some instances, yet not experiencing like any caffeine um, overdose in a right. sense because of the other balancing compounds in there. L-theanine is in mm -hmm. there as well, helping to, to balance and, you know, aid in focus. But that EGCG compound and we i don't i don't even know this is why i'm so grateful to have you here i don't even know if we've talked about it on the show before but it has some interesting uh aspects with metabolism oh yeah loss and oh i know it's yeah. so it's such a beautiful 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 compound and it activates autophagy right so i think you know we talked about matcha today but you you really look at the countries throughout asia and how much of a staple green tea is. And then how is it harvested, right? Because most of the green tea that we're drinking is coming out of China. It doesn't mean that there aren't some farms or some environments that the ingredients are clean because it's never one way or the other. But as a whole, I don't source my ingredients from there because I can't trust the supply chain. You just can't. But if you can get green tea from a place like Okinawa or parts of Japan, and you understand like how much a part of their culture and ritualistic it is and the way that they process it and harvest it and grow it, it's like martial arts. Mm. It's so beautiful. Mm. Wow. Martial arts for your tongue. Yeah. That's great. So... Some of these other, and I love this, there's so many that you talk about in the book, but I want to talk a little bit more about some of these things that support autophagy, like sulforaphane. Yes. For example, let's talk about that. Yeah, I know. So sulforaphanic acid coming from 
broccoli sprouts, let's say. So I would say, you know, for anyone that's listening, I'm always trying to find the ways to, yeah, optimize my biology. Mm. So sprouts, microgreens are an amazing source of that. Um, I actually first was introduced to broccoli sprouts when I was in China. So I was, I was in China. This is super fascinating, interesting dynamic. I was at the U.S. ambassador to China's home at a dinner. And one of the people that was there was talking about the trends in China. So there's so much pollution in China, right? And everybody's obsessively concerned with it, as they should be. And trying to find the ways that they could reduce pollution or the, the impact of pollution on their bodies. And so one of the people at this dinner was talking, like, this is the big trend, trying to find the ways to reduce the pollution in, in the Chinese. And so I went back and I went to my team of researchers, and they said to me, the number one ingredient to reduce pollution in your body is broccoli sprouts or the sulforaphins. Mm. Okay, well, that's easy to incorporate, right? Like, I can just add a lot of that to my salad every day. And that's what I started doing. And then I started to understand like how much this activates autophagy. It's one of the best sort of micro, it's, it's a microgreen, but it's like a super plant yeah. because it's so condensed. So I really highly recommend for all of us to eat as many of them as possible. You know, another thing about your work, you, you talked about the different dynamics that autophagy impacts like one of the things that you brought up which as soon as i saw autophagy in your book i'm like i'm hoping that she mentions cancer mm. protection mm -hmm. and on a recent episode of the show we'll put it for everybody in the show notes we were talking about the doctrine of signatures and how certain foods look like certain human body parts oh, but so is good. there any peer-reviewed evidence to show like it really does correlate and so we were talking about broccoli and how it has a similar appearance to our our lungs and the bronchioles and yes. just in all those little buds and all those different things. And it was some really fascinating data. And this was from researchers at John, Johns Hopkins found that sulforaphane uh, helps to restore immune system pathways within the lungs that clean out harmful pathogens and reduce the risk of infections, autophagy. <sighs> but listen to this, researchers at UCLA also noted the potent ability of sulforaphane to reduce inflammation in the lungs. Oh yeah. As well. So these are all these kind of yeah. cancer defending mm -hmm. aspects mm -hmm. that sulforaphane brings to the table. It's, it's beyond. Like I, I love it so much and I talked about it in food. Like you go to my fridge right now, you will never not see broccoli sprouts. I eat them every single day. But you go to my vitamin cabinet, you're always going to see my sulforaphanic acid in there as well, because I take it every single day. Um, I believe so much in it. I think it's foundational on a nutrient level for us because it's so therapeutic and it's so powerful, right? Like you, even if, if 70, 80%, probably more of your audience takes supplements, okay, foundationally, we could have like at the base of our multivitamins, sulforaphins. And that would be so powerful for us. 
And I think we're going to see those kind of trends like happening. You know, it's not, it's not a super cheap ingredient, but the results are so powerful. So you mentioned autophagy in relationship to cancer prevention in the book, but you also mentioned that this is so important for this time right now, autophagy in relationship to defending our body from viruses yeah. and pathogens. Yep. Let's talk about that. It, this, is, it's, this isn't being talked about by our health, quote, health officials. Mm -hmm. is what, what are the things we can do that's supportive of autophagy for defending right. against these things? Yeah. Which again, this is a very simple biological need that we have, and it's just kind of getting overlooked. Yeah, you know, it's like autophagy is, is dynamic in the sense that you don't want to always be activating it. You want it to be activated and deactivated back and forth, like the ocean coming in and out, mm -hmm. right? Because autophagy, because it is this natural process within our bodies, can sometimes even enhance cancers. Right. So there's it's there's this dynamic that we need to be aware of as it relates to autophagy. But to your point, which is so important for all of us right now, more than anything, it's this idea of how do I build my defenses? How do I become the strongest version of myself? How do I deal with all of the misinformation like we are in misinformation overload right now? And it's really challenging because it puts us into a place of fight or flight, which is the opposite of rest and digest. When we're in rest and digest, we activate and deactivate our autophagy in the correct manner. We also detoxify our body. We also build up our immune function. So it's thinking about all of these sort of things and then understanding, okay, these ingredients like the sulforaphanic acid, like berberin for viruses and funguses, and um, resveratrol, which I talk about a lot in here, the EGCGs, they all have the capacity to help us become our strongest version of ourself. You know, and I would tell you, a lot of listeners have heard of berberin. So berberin has been used for centuries as an antiviral, right? Um, similar to monolauric acid, mm. which comes from the coconut, right? It's used as an antiviral. And it um, has just tremendous, interesting research over time. But berberin is one of these ingredients that comes from a berry and it activates autophagy. It's really, really one of those powerful um, polyphenols. But what it does to support our immune function, to increase our production of brown fat, to help us reduce the white fat, all of these sort of things, these kind of plants can really be supportive. Yeah. Oh, so good. I hope everybody's taking notes on this <laughs> one today. Um, so, and I love that you mentioned the ebb and flow, because mm -hmm. I think, again, the American way is just like, some is good, all of it's better, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we, we're not in, having these the, the systems of autophagy functioning, you know, just all or nothing. It's the ebb and flow because we also need the growth part, you know, the growth and development. And when you said that earlier about, you know, basically when we go back to school and we think about, you know, cells are either growing or dying, that's life itself. You know, you're either growing or dying, but this process is taking place all the time. So what can we do to support it? Because I think 
we can do some things that clog up autophagy, yes. which I want to talk about in a moment. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to bring this up too, because I, when I mentioned broccoli earlier and that connection to autophagy and viruses, it added a new dimension for me. Mm. I just shared this study as well and in that episode, which again, we'll put it for you, you in the show notes if you missed it. What are you doing? <laughs> Get to this one. So this was recently published in Trends in Pharmacological Sciences, and it highlighted how sulforaphane acts upon the defensive pathways used by the lungs and other tissues that combat excessive inflammation triggered by COVID-19. All right. So what I love is that researchers, again, they're asking the questions. Who thinks about broccoli and COVID? You know, well, many people do. And now we have Mm -hmm. the ability to ask these questions, to run some clinical trials, to publish the data, but we have to demand it. We have to do the work that you're doing to make it much more accessible for people to think about things, ask these questions, formulate hypotheses, test things. And so I want to ask you about, because you did this with, with your book prior, you mentioned you put a clinical trial together. Yeah. So can you detail what happened? Because the results are <laughs> almost unbelievable. Yeah. And this was with uh, folks at the University of Jacksonville? Yeah, Jacksonville correct? University. Can you talk about that? Uh-huh. Um, so we, I, I went to the researchers at JU um, led by uh, this one researcher, Dr. Heather Hausenbloss. And I said, okay, I've got this dream because I'm an entrepreneur, right? Like I think a lot about what could be. I am always thinking about the future and, and building concepts or whatever it might be. And so I said to them, hey, I, I, I have this idea. What if we could study all of these different aspects of this clinical st- research around autophagy, like this would be really cool. And they thought it was so weird and sort of out there. But then they started to design this study, the, the team of researchers, and uh, they got excited because we were going to look at how this group of women, 35 women, how they slept. Um, we were going to incorporate autophagy-activating foods autophagy activating exercises. We were going to incorporate the skincare. Mm. We wanted to see if the skincare worked Mm -hmm. because I was like, I really want my own skincare that I can use. Um, And we looked at also the way that like we brought in like meditation and mindset. So it was very unusual and very holistic. And uh, we did this study And first of all, everybody was part of the study. Like we had one person that had to drop out because she had a surgery that she had to do, but nobody dropped out of the study, which was very unusual. That's rare. Yeah, Yeah, super rare. And it wasn't like we were asking them to do just like one or two interventions. Like this was a big deal. And they all stayed in and every single person in the study benefited. So they benefited in various ways, like from skin to weight loss, to um, improvement in energy, to all sorts of markers that we, that we really carefully had the researchers study and we couldn't believe it, yeah. right? Like there wasn't a test to say, okay, how much autophagy was activated? 
but we really were able to sort of study all these other areas and the way that their body responded. Right. I think every person had improvement in body composition. Every single one. Can That's you believe great. it? That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes sense. Yeah. You know, you're taking the data from the top experts in yeah. aut autophagy related to exercise, to nutrition, yeah. Yeah. putting it together in a cohesive yeah. plan, which is what's in the book. It's, and it was so great. And, the, you know, the book came out in 2018. It was like an instant New York Times bestseller. I just thought this is so crazy and so weird because like nobody can even pronounce this word. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought I was nuts to put it out there. But we were talking, you know, I've been fasting and intermittent fasting most of my life. And so we talked about intermittent fasting and we spoke about, you know, fat first, carbs last. And it was when I was really starting to understand the benefit of fat as my primary macronutrient and what that could do to reduce inflammation in my body. So it was unbelievable to see these kind of results coming. And it's still totally on the cutting edge. Mm. I mean, what's the biggest topic right now? Intermittent fasting, right? Like everybody's writing books on fasting and they should be yeah. because it's what will get us healthier. Yeah. So it's not just what we're doing, it's what we're not doing Yeah. as well. So how does intermittent fasting play into this role of cellular cleaning. Yeah, it's, it, it just, it helps to strengthen. It truly helps to strengthen the way that the autophagy is expressed. So we need to give our bodies that time to do other things rather than just focus on digestion, right? Like when you and I connected the other day, I was getting ready to do my Olympic lifting. Like in my backyard, yeah, right? Yeah. So you saw, you saw the bar. The barbell. You had a, you had a date at the bar. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I'm here in LA from Florida. We talked about um, me being out here for the summer. And I brought my barbell. And I brought my own equipment. Because I know that if I can do that Olympic lifting three, four times a week, like it's not sexy. It seems very odd. But if I can do that, and I can get under that bar and I can release that cascade of hormones and I can experience all of those benefits, then I'm basically at a cellular level giving my body that activation. I'm strengthening my autophagy just like I'm strengthening my muscularity. Mm -hmm. So I want to lean into this with intermittent fasting a little bit more yeah. because as you mentioned, this is top of mind for a lot of folks, but it's not a new invention. Humans really, this is how we evolved. There were times of feast, there are times of famine. And, you know, our kind of regimented breakfast, lunch, dinner paradigm, it's a new invention. Not to say that it can't be helpful mm. because showers are new, you know, and it's helpful. Uh, but it's just like, what is our genetic template expecting from us? And so the constant eating, I would imagine it engages a lot more need for autophagy mm -hmm. without necessarily the autophagy being capable of balancing out that need. Yeah, you're totally 100% right. You know, um, so to your point, fasting is, it is our primal nature. And when we fast, there's a lot of um, thoughts like, oh, you have to be fasting for three to five days in order to activate autophagy. Not true. You know, the top researchers recognize that after you know, 16 hours, you're already getting that benefit. Um, and of course, you can go deeper. 
And we know with fasting, you know, like five days of water fasting, which I highly recommend and I love, and I've done it so many times, you're activating your stem cells, right? And so the world of fasting, as it relates to all of us, is extremely important. And there's sometimes people get afraid of it. They think, different things. And there's a lot of misinformation around fasting, but it is. It's something that we've been doing forever, feast or famine. And it really does strengthen our biology because when we're not focused on digestion, we're, we're getting all the other benefits that we should be doing. That's why at night when we're sleeping smarter, that's when we're activating the autophagy. And we hope that if you do, let's say an intermittent fast and you stop eating at eight or 8.30 at night, and then you don't start until noon the next day, that's very easy for the body to do. And it will show its appreciation by giving you more energy, by allowing you to be more focused, by giving you the opportunity to do so many things that you maybe don't have the capacity to do when you're clogged up. Mm. So during that fasting window, could folks still have their green tea with the EGCG? Yeah. Absolutely. So as long as you're not stimulating the digestion, there are some thought processes, and um, I, I, I totally get it, where, you know, like certain plants, if you're consuming certain plants and teas or whatever, are activating certain processes in our body. So a lot of people will not, but just as many will, and you're still going to get a ton of benefit. And if you're drinking the green tea and you're thinking about autophagy and you're not adding, you know, anything to it, then you're in a good place. Mm, that's so good. I mean, you know, we've got this whole category and it's growing of these fasting mimicking yeah. nutrients, yeah. you know, that just kind of even support, mm -hmm. like you've got these things here. It would just seem likely that it's going to support the process that you're trying yeah. to achieve. Now, I love, of course, when I come across things that, I mean, I've almost 20 years in this field every day i'm obsessed with something that i haven't heard of yet mm -hmm. and you talk about this one in your book spermidine oh yeah and as soon as i'm just like that sounds like <laughs> sperm is this like where is this going yeah. can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? yeah of course um i know we learn every single day right it's so crazy how much information is out there and yet how simple we have to keep it because i keep coming back here in the u.s where our belief so much is bigger, better, more. But in reality, you know, we were talking about regions of Africa right before we, we started the show. And in reality, sometimes it's just like the most simple basic principles. And we are in this overload of, of, of information. So you think about something like spermidine. So yes, spermidine comes from sperm. It also comes from certain foods. And what spermidine does is it is very effective at activating autophagy. So spermidine is not something to get rid of. <laughs> if you have access to it, put it on your skin. It is incredible for activating the youth. If you can eat foods that are filled with spermidine, you know, um, there are spermidine ingredients that are coming out into the market now from um, different uh, elements of wheat, but there are other sources of it. I list a bunch in the book um, that really are huge with spermidine. So 
you're going to see a lot more of it over the next couple of years um, coming out sort of in the products. Okay. Did you say rub it in your skin? <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. And so then the, I probably blushed. <laughs> the, name, the name spermidine, it was originally identified in sperm, and then now it's known to be in all these different foods as well. Yeah. But I actually, when I, as soon as I read some of this data in the book, I was just like, let me go look at some of the peer-reviewed evidence. This yeah. is in the journal Aging. The title of the study yes. is Spermidine Delays Aging in Humans. Correct. And there was so many studies on this. It's just like, what in the world? So, of course, we've got these foods identified, but apparently sperm has some really deep nutrition. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. That's why I said, don't, don't let it go to waste. Like, that, <laughs> that is a really important part of our, of our youthful aging. And for all the women out there, I'm making it pretty clear, right? Yeah. Um, so when, when, you, when you think about it next time, you know, you're all going to be like, yeah, Naomi said I should uh, do a spermidine facial. Oh, my God. <laughs> but no, Don't seriously, it like it's, you can't. This is part yeah. of the beauty of biology. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I, as I said, my mother, I'm European. My mother is French. I grew up with a very different mindset around the human body and, and appreciation for sexuality. And we live in a different society yeah. here. It's very but taboo, all of this stuff. I, I, I think all of that mindset is unhealthy. I really fundamentally do. So I'm all about embracing what is healthy. And um, youth is healthy. Yeah. And our sexuality is healthy. And these are important parts of that 360 approach. Let's, let's <laughs> dive in deeper yeah. here on this one. Um, because before we got started, you actually mentioned some, some research regarding female orgasm. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yes. So when we were doing research for the book, that's how we first came across spermidine. And I remember exactly the moment that we did that because we were in, um, in a research lab with a couple of professors at the University of Florida. And we were coming across these incredible studies. We're just like, so then we were making all these fun jokes, but it, it, it definitely stuck because it got into the book. Um, what we also learned around women's health is that as a woman, we need to have at least 200 orgasms every year. So ladies, like that's one of the best ways for us to really sort of improve our overall health within our body and to give us the energy and the vitality that we're needing, right? Like you think about how much women have gone through during this past year, mm. more than anyone, right? Yeah. Like your wife has probably had more weight on her shoulders than at any other time in her life. I certainly have, your listeners certainly have, and we haven't had the opportunity to give ourselves the self-care that we need. Orgasms are a really important part of that. Mm. I would imagine that, you know, in addition to the benefits that we know, you know, the release of all these feel-good hormones and neurotransmitters, but there are so many dimensions with, you know, if we're talking about that switch from the sympathetic to parasympathetic, the longevity implications there as well. Mm. Because I think that's what the study was really pointing at, right, is that the frequency of female orgasm is associated with a whole host of other benefits associated oh, yeah. with longevity. And there's more and more and more research that's coming out yeah. now. I, I can tell you, uh, 
growing up, as I mentioned, my grandfather, the quantum physicist, the French grandfather, Jean-Paul Offray is his name. Um, he's very famous in France. He's written like the history of, of physics. But he, when I used to spend summers with him when I was, I was young, he had a completely solar house in the south of France. It's like we didn't have wow. a refrigerator. He had, like we would go down into this like dark area. I, I can't even think of the name of it, like this cavern at the bottom of his house that he had built that was completely solar. And that's where everything would be. And it was a small village that he lived in. So like we constantly had fresh, everything was fresh. So we'd have these trucks that would come and like bring the meats or bring the fishes or bring the vegetables. And so that's how we would eat in a very fresh format. But he said to me when I was young, and I think it's important for everyone to, you know, sort of as we're level setting after what we've been through collectively, he would always say, you know, don't ever let go of like the little girl inside of yourself. Play, focus on happiness, you know, do things simply. And that's where it comes into like sexuality with your partner is it's play for adults and it's healthy and we need to be doing these things. So keeping that 200 number in mind is, is going to be one of the greatest ways to keep that longevity. Hashtag goals. All right. <laughs> so we're going to move on because you also mentioned earlier that it's obviously we talked about intermittent fasting, but there are certain things that can block or inhibit this process of autophagy. Because again, we're looking at things that can help to improve this metabolic essential that can be stifled in our culture today. So what are some of the things that can block this process from happening? I know that one of the big things here, like in our culture, you know, the average American is eating somewhere in the ballpark of 70 pounds of added sugars yeah. every year. So is this an issue tied here? Yeah, certainly. Any sort of um, glucose activator, right? Like if, you're, if your insulin is becoming less sensitive, then that directly affects autophagy. So you need to have balanced glucose levels. You, you can't have those kind of spikes mm -hmm. if you want to have balanced autophagy. And it's really, really important. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Sean, when we think about like the one thing that makes the majority of the difference. Like we're talking about a lot of nuances here. We're having a big conversation. We've both been doing this for over 20 years. We're super passionate and very blessed to have the connectivity that we have with so many other very um, curious and so many brilliant people that are out there. But fundamentally, if we were to just remove that level of sugar, how healthy would we be? Yeah, so simple, mm -hmm. so simple, but it's not easy in our world today. It's, we're inundated with it. It's, yeah. ra it's raining sugar granules everywhere we go. And it's so addictive, right? Don't yeah. they say that it's more addictive than like heroin or yeah, something? Yeah, mm -hmm. there was a really interesting study done um, because, you know, there's with, with ethics, certain things can be employed in humans. So with giving mice the opportunity to choose between, you know, sugar and saccharin as well, mm -hmm. there's another phase of study, or cocaine, the mice preferentially choose the sugar. Even mice who are addicted to cocaine, they shift wow. over once they have sugar and sweetness as an option. It's the strangest, most remarkable thing, you know? But then you get into the conversation, well, it's like, 
we're talking about cocaine, like, and, you know, potentially crack. Right. Like, Sean, nobody's out there, like, selling their furniture to get a hit of a candy bar. Like, you know. Right. But in reality, if you think about, because we don't have to. That's the thing. It's very different. You don't That's have right. to do those things. It's so ever-present in our culture. But we know the symptoms when you, the withdrawal that you go to, right? When you don't get the sugar, and, but we just have easy access to it. So we really don't know what you might do when you go through withdrawals. You know what I mean? And we've seen it, of course, and, you know, different patients that I've worked with over the years. You know, there, is, there can be some withdrawal symptoms for sure. But the beautiful part is there's so much that we can do. The body is so resilient and interesting with its management of sugar that it, it can be a great, more graceful process mm -hmm. than just that like brain dominant action of something like heroin, for example. Um, but your body's always seeking to get back in balance and improving that insulin sensitivity. And again, so I'm thinking about it as soon as we brought this topic up, having sugar poured into the autophagy process is kind of like a glue, like gumming up, That's creating right. a little sugar bridge that's blocking mm -hmm. the process from happening. So I just using that as a visual. I think it's a great visual. Uh, for me, when I, I did not know how addicted I was to sugar until I You're started- You're in a safe space, so. Yeah, I know. It's like, I just have to say, <laughs> I had no idea how addicted I was until I started to really get into wanting my body to reduce the inflammation and start keto. I probably fell off the wagon maybe like five times and living in the spotlight, wanting nothing more than to have, you know, that 3.4, wherever I wanted to be with my, with my ketones and still needing that sugar, like kept falling off. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get there one day. And I finally did get there. And then I was like, well, why is my mood so blah? Mm. Am I getting depressed? No, this is what, mm. this is what it's going to be like until I'm more balanced yeah. and I'm not dependent on these you don't have that high. sugar spikes. Yeah. yeah. It took a long, long, long time. And then as soon as I introduced sugar again, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm right back, mm. which is sad, but it's true. You know, so sugar's, sugar's a big deal. And um, it's also looked at in society, like with our kids, you know, I never let my children eat cereal. They just never had it in our house. And then we're out here in California. They're like, could we buy a cereal at, at our, our favorite Sprouts Farmer's Market? Which, by the way, I'm totally in love with and very excited about where they're going. And I thought to myself, oh, I want to give my kids what they want. Like mm. we associate sugar with, with like love. Right. So Deeply. it's like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah. After every, the, yeah. after the baseball game. Totally. Um, for holidays. Yeah. Ho we've got a whole holiday dedicated to pre-diabetes, right? With yeah. Halloween, you know? And I know for myself personally, it's just, and it's so cheap too. You know, I can go to the corner store with a dollar and I can yeah. get a hundred pieces of candy. Wow. It's called penny candy. And then it bumped up to like two cent candy. It didn't have the same ring to it as penny candy. But just imagine the amount of sugar that I'm ingesting. And again, it's not an accident that the majority of my family members, heart disease, yeah. cancer, diabetes. It's just like, it's normalized. 
And we don't often, unfortunately, tie it to these things that we're inundated with. But I think that's really changing a lot recently. But we've kind of taken a, um, a, a little bit of a step backwards with all things COVID. But I'm hoping, and this is why we do this and having these conversations, mm-hmm. is to jettison all this stuff that's happened and jump us, make a quantum leap instead of just like that slow progressive change in society. Things have gotten so bad, but the conversation hasn't been focused on what are we going to do to get people healthier, mm. right? Because again, you know, the CDC's latest report, over 95% of the folks who died with COVID on their death certificate had an average of four pre-existing chronic diseases yeah. and or comorbidities. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. But that part is not being discussed. Like, mm-hmm. what do we do to reduce? Mm-hmm. This is the clear number one susceptibility. Mm-hmm. What do we do to fix mm-hmm. this? Because mm-hmm. we're doing all this window dressing. So just really excited about this because I think that with things being so blatantly obvious, like right in our face, like this is the problem, eventually people, we, we have to see it. I think our jobs and what you're doing right now, you're basically, you're sharing autophagy for our retina and getting us mm-hmm. to be able to see more clearly mm-hmm. so we could see the thing right in front of our face. You know, you think about the pandemic, the epidemic. Is it really an obesity epidemic that we have in this country? right? 70, 80% of our country and the amount of COVID, the amount of COVID deaths and what you were just discussing. So I think for us, it's not about beating ourselves up because that's so, it's so simple to be like, yeah, I'm bad. I'm doing the wrong things. That's actually not true here in the US because I've lived all over the world and I, I travel. That's what I do to discover interesting ingredients that have been used maybe for thousands of years in other cultures, right? We're following what we're being told to do. This is a very compliant society, despite the most amazing entrepreneurial spirit that exists here, the amount of innovation that is created. Like this is the real, we are in the real deal. But on the other side of it, we're dealing with so much obesity um, and it's, it's affecting our children, you know, childhood diabetes is, it's a real thing. There's so much going on. And so it's not about saying, okay, we're bad. We're doing wrong things. It's more about sort of changing the script to how do we optimize our metabolism? Like how do we take the food that we're eating and convert it efficiently into energy, which is what happened for me when I learned about autophagy. And then I recognized, okay, I can activate my autophagy, but it's also relating to my insulin sensitivity. It's also relating to my cholesterol, my lipid profiles, the circumference of my midsection, you know, the amount of weight I have around my organs. All of these people throughout our country are basically living life with like dysregulated metabolisms, including myself. Like metabolic syndrome is, you know, these five, these five markers. And so many of us, if we don't have metabolic syndrome, we may have two or three of those markers. Mm-hmm. And I discovered like I did. So after understanding about autophagy, then it's like, okay, let's get fundamental here. Let's talk about how we can optimize 
simply the way we convert our food into energy. And that's what metabolism is all about. And that's what whole body metabolism is about, right? And um, just by getting the sugar down-regulated, increasing other macronutrients, we can make big difference and we can do it easily. Right, so true, so true. I love this. Got a quick break coming up, we'll be right back. Today, we're in the midst of a new revolution with our understanding of food. We used to just be focused on this macronutrient paradigm, proteins, fats, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates and proteins got a pretty good name, but fats were drugged through the mud. Why is that? Because it's called fat, all right? The name implies something different than the other two. Because when we hear the word fat, we think about fat on our bodies. Fat in food and fat in our bodies are two totally different things. And it's like thinking, if I eat blueberries, I'm going to turn blue. When you think that eating fat is going to turn you fat. It just doesn't work like that. And any of those three macronutrients can actually put fat on your body if you eat too much or the wrong types. Healthy fats, which I'm proposing that we start to call lipids or even energy, are incredibly important for every single function in your body. Your cells, every single cell in your body, we have upwards of 100 trillion cells that make you up, require fats to just maintain the integrity of your cell membranes. We're talking about the thing that holds your cells together and enables your cells to communicate. It's very important. Also your brain, your brain is mostly fat and water. This is why fats are so important. When you're deficient in fats, especially the right kinds of fats, you can see some big issues. So in order to address that, some of my favorite things today are MCT oils. And specifically, if we look at emulsified MCT oils that actually taste amazing. And these are medium chain triglyceride oils that are extracted from things like coconut or palm. And these medium chain triglycerides have a thermogenic effect on the body, which means they are able to positively alter your metabolism. All right, that's number one, thermogenic effect from MCT oils, positively altering your metabolism. Number two, MCTs are more easily absorbed by your cells. So unlike conventional food of any type that has to go through a pretty arduous process of digestion, turning that food stuff into you stuff, MCTs are able to go directly to your cells and provide almost instant energy. And number three, MCT oils are very protective of your microbiome. There's so much research today about the importance of having a healthy microbiome and the integrity of our gut. MCT oils are one of those things that help to support that because they're especially effective at combating viruses, parasites, bacteria. There's so much goodness that is able to be found in these MCT oils, but you wanna get the good stuff. And for me, that's why I go to onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash M-O-D-E-L to get the emulsified MCT oils, which is like a coffee creamer. These are great to add to your coffees and teas, smoothies and things like that to get in a little bit of extra flavor plus all the benefits of MCT oils. They're easy to stir so you don't have to throw everything into a blender just to get a nice coffee drink, but also they taste good and they make the process of being healthy, fun and enjoyable. So head over, check them out. They've got vanilla, coconut, cinnamon swirl, and strawberry. It's one of my favorites. So go to onit.com forward slash model for 10% off your entire purchase, not just for the MCT oil, but all of the health and human performance supplements that Onit carries and all of their fitness equipment, gear, and so much other cool stuff. All right, head over there, check them out, onit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. So 
you mentioned, you said this word, and I don't want this to pass. You mentioned we live in a society, unbeknownst to us, oftentimes it's very compliant. Yes. And, but we also have this tenet of freedom. We have this entrepreneurial spirit. But from a very early age, we are really entrained to follow authority, mm -hmm. to not question authority, and to be basically indoctrinated with certain ideas about how education looks. And there's so many different things that we're programmed with unknowingly, again, when we send our kids off to school. And so now, again, we have changes taking place in the education system, thankfully. But, you know, again, we have this belief about freedom, but we're also very compliant in the things that we accept because the majority of the reason why I was struggling with my health so mightily when I was younger, diagnosed with the so-called incurable spinal condition mm -hmm. at 20, an advanced aging disease in my spine at 20, um, was because of what happened in my educational institution. You know, when I was at school, I was getting the free lunch program, which was Frosted yeah, Flakes, my cereal to start the day and the little thing of juice. And, you know, for lunch, you know, I got my pizza or my chicken nuggets. I don't know where that part of the chicken came from. It didn't even, it didn't even have chicken consistency. Um, but also seeing these big food companies coming into the organization as well with the vending machines. Mm -hmm. And then they bring their marketing teams out to when new products are hitting the market, whether it's some Hostess products oh, yeah. or Surge. I remember when Surge soda came out and they come and they get the free samples. And I'm just all for all of it because I'm just being indoctrinated with this is normal. You know, so I, a big part of this is taking back control of our minds, but also realizing still, it's not what you do every now and then, it's what you do consistently. So, and I love that about your work as well, because sometimes you're going to come across a croissant. It's not going to kill you. But if we're going, you know, balls to the wall with croissants all the time, it might not be a good idea. Um, and also you being, you know, your, your mother is French. And then there's the French paradox as well, you know? So it's just like, but here in, in our culture currently, it's not just the croissant. It's, it's like deep fried and it's like dipped in chocolate and, you know, filled with cream and all these different things. And, you know, we're doing this stuff on a consistent basis. So just want to give people permission slip. We can still enjoy yes. these things. But you mentioned a really important tenant earlier. And this is what I want to ask you about, which is fat first, carbs last. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So it, it, in a way, it, it relates to the French paradox. Um, I was in the south of France with my cousins. Uh, and one of my cousins, Eric Lefort, a French medical doctor, and his gorgeous wife, Aud, who is a nurse, we were, we were hanging out a bunch of years ago, and I was watching them eat like crazy amounts of fat. So, you know, triple cream breeze and all of this fatty food. And if you were to see the two of them, they look like Ken and Barbie. I mean, they're like ridiculously thin and um, they have tons of energy and they're living this like very, I don't know how I would put it, just joie de vivre, right? Like they have this joy of life and they are not saying no to the pleasures in life. I don't know, like, Part of what I love so much about different cultures is you get to eat foods that you may have never tried here. And in, in France, 
when you bite into a peach, that peach tastes completely different. It's so fresh, it's so juicy, it's so delicious, it's ridiculous. And so I was always thinking like, how do the French get access to these peaches? Like, it doesn't seem fair for us here in the US. Like we're, we're missing out on a lot of uh, mm. the juiciness of life. Literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so Eric and, and Aude are drinking a lot of red wine and they're eating all this ridiculous amounts of good food. And so I started to think about the French paradox, which is that the French, despite a super fatty diet, they eat lots of butter. You know, they eat lots of all of it, have some of the strongest cardiovascular systems in the whole world. And so, or in the westernized world, right? So how does that work? And it has something to do with these polyphenols that are found in red wine. It has something to do with the onions, the garlic, all of the olive oil, all of these kind of foods that they're, that they're ingesting. And so it, it got me really thinking, okay, the French paradox is alive and well. How do we say yes? Mm. <laughs> like, how do we say yes here in the US? Like, I don't want my, my girlfriends to have to constantly tell themselves no. Yeah. Life is too short. Right. Come on, let's go. Let's say yes. Like, you know, about yes theory, those kids, they just say yes to everything. And then where does that take them? Let's get there. So fat first, carbs last is based on the French paradox. And if, if, if fat can be what you're consuming at the beginning of the day, you're increasing your ketone production. You know, I've got some MCTs in, in my great tea here. Thank you. And um, if you're going to incorporate carbs, um, of course, I like to keep that carb level down. Like I'm I feel the best when my carbohydrate intake is like 50 grams, somewhere around there. Um, but if you are going to consume more carbs, and a lot of people do for exercise, for whatever reason, um, you do it later in the day into the evening, it helps you sleep better. It also helps with the activation of autophagy because fat first and the ketone production all works hand in hand. So it's a long answer to French paradox, yes theory, and fat first, carbs last. Oh, this is so good, <laughs> so good. Well, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, we know we've obviously really focused on nutrition and the lack thereof potentially of inhibiting autophagy, but what are some of the other things in our lifestyle that can basically gum up the system of autophagy that our body's wanting to do to, to give us help? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's certainly the environmental pollutants, you know, the quality of air, getting out into nature. I love, I love to do it. You know, we were just talking about it the other day. Like if you can do that early in the morning, if you can go for a walk outside, if you can get into a forest and have a forest bath, just even exploring nature, observing nature, all of those activities are really beneficial to your circadian rhythms even. So, you know, we always talk about the clock that's in every single one of our cells, but, but getting into your own rhythm, understanding it like with your sleep smarter. Okay. For me, I learned through the process of writing Glow 15 that, okay, I don't need eight hours of sleep. I'm better off you know, focusing on five of my 
sleep cycles, which are like 90 minutes a pop, that activates my circadian rhythm. And that also helps to declog sort of the, the negatives that relate to autophagy. And that helps to strengthen my autophagy. So tapping into your own primal beats, essentially, which are uniquely yours, right. is really a great way to sort of strengthen autophagy and then also reduce the negative impacts of environmental pollutants or dysregulation, mm. essentially. Yeah. Metabolic dysregulation, you know, dysregulation whatever way. Yeah. You mentioned specifically some toxins that we put onto our skin. I mm. don't think a lot of folks realize. We've touched on it several times over the years, but it's such a big issue because yeah. your skin eats what you put on it. I know. I know. It's so, it's so, it's so crazy. Um, it's, a it's a really controversial topic. So because of my eczema um, and, and being born in Switzerland, the kind of products that I've used on my skin have always been products that I could literally like ingest comfortably. And I'm not a big fan of sunscreens. I'm more afraid, and I have never been, right? Like uh, a lot of the ways in which our body activates the autophagy in our skin is at night. So if you're putting a bunch of night creams on, your body is it's getting clogged up with that, and it, and it slows down the activation of autophagy, which creates more of that aging process. So a lot of what I will say is contrarian, but it's what I've always done. So I try to not use any products unless I can ingest them in my mouth comfortably. Um, I like to work with my own circadian rhythm as it relates to my skin, which means uh, I need to be paying attention to not clogging it up, which happens at night when a lot... So for women... You know, if, if, if you're in your 30s, like late 30s is when you will start to see the signs of aging, the beginning signs. So maybe some fine lines and wrinkles, and there's some distortion in the way that the cells are replicating. And you're just noticing on the very outermost layer of your epidermis, your collagen fibers, which is like our dermis, and everybody's learning about collagen right now. Um, but by the way, like our sisters in Asia have had it right for hundreds of years. So in 2009, when I first brought collagen as a beauty ingestible into the US market, it wasn't like I knew something. It was that the women throughout Asia were consuming like 20 grams of protein collagen, but beauty collagen for the skin, which is different than like bone broth or, or, or whole body collagen. They were consuming the skin collagen in various supplement forms. They were consuming, you know, pig ears, all these different cartilage, high elastin ingredients, like the skin of fish is made of elastin. And they start doing that when they're little girls, their parents give it to them. So for a woman in her 30s, her production of collagen, which is like the support of our skin, has been going down you know, maybe it's gone down by 15% by the time she's in her, her late 30s. And then once we get into our 40s, what starts to really happen for our skin is it's not just the fine lines and wrinkles, but it's also the elastin that has declined rapidly. 
we don't know about elastin in this country yet. I'm going to be talking about it. Like we're going to be bringing it into the conversation because we as women really need to know about it. You, for example, going back to collagen, your collagen fibers are crossing. So you have these strong bonds with your collagen fibers. That's why when you're in your 50s and your wife is in her 50s, she will look much older than you do because her collagen fibers are parallel so that she can give birth, right? So that we can stretch. But the bonds that hold our collagen fibers together are much weaker. So the matrix that holds our skin and pumps it is really reducing in our 40s. So we have to be thinking about skin, really not very much what we're putting on it, more about what we're putting into it to create our well-beauty. And that's wellness from the inside, expressing beauty on the outside. And then what starts to happen in our late 40s is we start to leak the moisture out of our skin. So skin products need to be things like ceramides, right? Ceramides are essentially, if you think about a brick wall, they're like the mortar between the bricks. So as we get older, that mortar sort of breaks down. The bricks aren't as strongly held together. And that's how we leak out our moisture. So the best thing you can do for your skin is when you wake up in the morning, drink 16 ounces plus of water because you've leaked out moisture and hydration out of your body. Eat green vegetables that are filled with hydration so you can penetrate the cells more efficiently to really get the hydration up. There's a lot of skin care that's really about what you're doing through your mouth into your body. So it's an inside out job. Right. Oh, that's so, it's, it's, it's so simple. And it makes yeah. sense. You know, this is where your body's generating mm -hmm. what you see in the mirror yeah. is from the food that you eat. Totally. You know? So um, we're, we're treating our skin from both ways, topically, and also most importantly, from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Well, beauty. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah, I, love I know. That. We're just getting ready to really sort of share it with as many women as possible because, you know, for us as women, what we look like, is, is more important maybe than, you know, like we connect more to our looks than maybe we should. But at the end of the day, we are, our biology is different than, than yours. And so understanding like, okay, I have to, I have to focus on my collagen fibers because they're different. Or I have to understand that my testosterone is declining and that's going to impact the way that I focus or the way that I can make decisions, simple stuff like that. The great thing about you, one of your superhero superpowers mm -hmm. is you've been aware and behind the scenes for so many years, helping to get higher quality ingredients to people. You've really, quote, hacked the supply chain totally. in a major way because there's so much, um, so much is really kind of mystical in a sense. Like we really don't know what's happening behind the scenes when it comes to, not just we tend to think about it in the pharma, pharmacological model, like we don't know what the hell is going on. It's coming from a lab somewhere, but the same thing with our supplements. And there's regulation there, but there's a lot that's not regulated and there's so many loopholes in it. So what can we do? And just, if you can't talk about mm -hmm. some of the things you've done yeah. to help to 
bring bring great products to people mm. that are safe, mm-hmm. that are done the right way, that are providing the benefits that we're really looking for. What 70, 80% of us take supplements. And now it's like even more because during COVID, there's a lot of data supporting the need for nutrients. Think about vitamin D, for example, right? Like 90% of us are deficient in vitamin D, 90%. We need adequate levels of vitamin D. We know that. Like every single person in this country should have been given a bottle of vitamin D and think about what that would have done for, you know, COVID and, and, and the impact that it's had on us. But what we don't know about vitamin D is why is it that so many of us take it and yet we're still deficient? Like what's really going on there? So when I think about supply chain, um, it's almost like, you know, Anthony Bourdain's kitchen confidentials. He was like, okay, if you're going to go to a restaurant, you got to check out the bathroom first because then you're going to know how clean it is in the kitchen. I kind of look at supply chain within the nutraceutical, nutritional industry in, in the same way. And it, and it has to be disclosed, right? So with vitamin D, and this is less about supply chain, but more about understanding how to create real health with our nutrients, vitamin D is a challenging, it's actually... It's, a, it's called a vitamin, but it's actually a steroid. Um, it's challenging to absorb. So if you can include magnesium, magnesium literally allows your body, your cells to bring in the vitamin D at a deeper level. We don't know that, right? Like that's like so nuanced. That information is not out there. So if you're taking a handful of different vitamins. I would imagine vitamin D is on most people's list. Simply understanding, okay, we've got to get our magnesium with our vitamin D, like find a combination formula or, or take the two together. That's how it's going to work the best. It's like with a lot of the different herbs or plants, you need to have another compound to make your body absorb it. So absorption is a really big thing for all of us when we're thinking about ingredients. The second thing that is really important for me is knowing where things are grown and how they're processed. So today, when I was getting ready to come over here, my friend was making a smoothie. And he was so excited to show me the berries that he was putting in his smoothie. And I look at the bag and I'm like, yo. This is not USDA organic. He's like, oh yeah, it is. Like, no, 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 no. There's nothing on there that says USDA. And so we are getting tricked all the time by smart marketing. Mm-hmm. He really thought he was putting in like clean berries into his body, but he was putting such a high level of toxicity because we know how strawberries are sprayed so heavily. So looking at labels and being really cognizant about the claims that are being made. Is it USDA organic? Is it tested with USP laboratories? You know, what are the testing that is done on the brand? And then just like we may have our favorite brand of clothing, and we like to sort of stick with a couple brands, 
you should be that same way with your nutrition. You should find a couple of brands that you really believe in, spend the time to do the research. So once you have a couple of brands that you like, okay, are they testing the ingredients properly? Do they tell you where the ingredients come from? Are they using, oftentimes you can look on the back of the label and it will say trademark. You'll see a little R with a circle around it. It's a registered trademarked ingredient. When an ingredient has been trademarked, it's so much more expensive, not necessarily to the consumer, but to buy that raw material. But what that means is that raw material is like a premium brand, Mm. right? That means that science has been done on that ingredient. And that's really important. So I have a list of like the 10 things to look for because I was thinking about your audience. I'm like, what can I bring to them that's going to help them to get healthier, to be their healthiest version? My superpower is certainly in hacking the supply chain. But then I don't want to make that a big lengthy process for you. I don't want you to have to waste your energy trying to figure out and navigate this jungle, which is totally what it is. There are so many bad players in the jungle. It's so much less regulated than pharmaceuticals, for example. It's regulated like food. Low barriers to entry. We're all taking vitamins. What do we do? You know? So I I put a, a list of the 10 things that I look for. And, you know, maybe it's something that people can screenshot off my website or or whatever. We can, you know, maybe I can put it in the show notes. But I just want you guys to know, like, there are simple things to pay attention to that make a huge difference. That's so awesome. We'll definitely put it for folks, a link in the show notes for everybody to access it. And of course, we've got to make sure that everybody picks up your books. Books, uh, Glow 15 is a game changer. It's Aww. created a huge shift in the way that people think about these subjects. And I love, again, when you bring new ideas to the table mm-hmm. that you know, are unique and also proven. The, the beautiful part about this is that you're going to the places and you're mm-hmm. seeing the centuries of use of these different things and the outpicturing of that, like what does that look like in people's health? And we deserve that. You know? We've kind of really gotten away from this lineage you know, from our ancestors, all the stuff that they figured out. You know? And like here we are, we're trying to use clinical evidence to basically prove stuff that our ancestors knew already, which is great. You know, we need science to affirm these things with the way that we think now. But I'm just so grateful for you to, to do the things that you've done. You know, when you shared the story earlier about like, you know, you're reading something about Okinawa, you're like, oh, I'm just going to go, <laughs> you know, and just like to have the audacity to do that, you know, with all the things going on in your life, you know, it's really special. And I thank you for that. Can you let folks know where they can connect with you more, get more information, your website, and also where they can pick up your books? Absolutely. So, um, Sean, I am so happy and joyful to be here with you. This is so fun. Um, I love the work that you're doing. It's so needed right now. You know, like I said at the beginning, there's this over over consumption of misinformation right now. Like it's, it's really just not good for us. And we are an amazing, amazing country. You know, for me coming from, from Europe and, and getting here when I was like 12 years old, I remember getting out of the car in New York City. My grandfather was teaching at Columbia University and uh, everything 
so big. I'm like, oh my God, these buildings, this sidewalk. I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. But I was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to build stuff. I'm going to make stuff here. And I didn't have the boldness to believe that I could be like an inventor, but I, I, I learned quickly what an innovator was. And so I am dedicated to innovating and optimizing my health, my biology, anyone else's. And so, you know, it's, you can find me like simply on, I have, I have my own website, NaomiWhittle.com. Um, I'm on social media. I love to make videos. I've made a bunch of videos pre-COVID. We kind of took a moment there um, on YouTube. And so just dedicated to sharing as much as I possibly can about how to optimize our health. Awesome. So, and also Glow 15, anywhere books are sold, definitely mandatory in our libraries. Aww. And I appreciate you so much, really. Like this was very, very special and enlightening. And I can't wait to, to do more together. And, um, you know, it's so funny that this time right now is offering up such an opportunity, you know, for us to get better. And but we have to connect, we have to collaborate, mm -hmm. we have to have these discussions. And, you know, so again, we'll put all the different resources for everybody in the show notes. And listen, I, we have to do this again. I, mean, I still got wait. questions that I didn't <laughs> get to today. And again, I just really appreciate you. And I appreciate all the work that you've laid out for everybody. And now many people can follow in your footsteps. So oh. you really are a superhero. Thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. Naomi Whittle, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Naomi is like a real life Lara Croft. All right, she's tomb raiding out here. When people have no idea she's been behind the scenes, going to these different places, exploring and bringing back incredible gifts and insights for us. And so really, really grateful to have her on and to share her voice and her perspective and definitely check out her work. And I'm telling you right now, we've got a lot of work to do. Speaking of work, we've got a lot of work to do in front of us, but we can be joyous. We can have an amazing time, an amazing experience, but we've got to grow. We've got to get better. We've got to activate our own mental autophagy and clean out the old and start to allow the new to be built. So we're, again, it's on us to build this new society in a way that's healthy, that's sustainable that's advantageous for all, that's inclusive. All this work is up to us and we have the opportunity to do it. So much is fluxed up right now. Flux, F-L-U-X, fluxed up right now. And it's providing an opportunity because things are so much more malleable. And with things in motion, we can intercept things. There's a space being created right now. There's a gap in education, there's a gap in the conversation around health and it has to get filled with something. So it's up to us to fill it with what's real, with what's sustainable and what's about real health. So again, we're just getting warmed up and we've got some incredible episodes coming your way very soon. Some powerful masterclasses that are gonna blow your mind. Incredible guests, some of the most renowned experts in the world on some powerful subject matters regarding all things health and wellness and fitness. So really excited about what's coming up. So make sure to stay tuned. I appreciate you so much for tuning in today. Take care. Have an amazing day. I'll talk with you soon. 
And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.